Hi, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for finding the Toronto Today podcast. Great to have you here for Thursday, February the 10th, as we wind our way through a week that has had no shortage of big news and big stories. Uh, Chorus National Radio host Roy Green of the aptly named, well thought out, Roy Green Show will join us on the podcast today, and we'll talk about Justin Trudeau, Doug Ford, um, the fact that many people are feeling politically homeless, where he thinks all these protests go, the impact on our economy. Love our chats with Roy Green. Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, a liberal MP, weighs in on what the government has got right, and he questions some things that we need to do better. I love that open discourse and conversation. Uh, Nathaniel's been on a couple times in the last month, and I'm really enjoying that he's making time uh, for our listeners and uh, and for you to check out. So I don't want you to miss that chat a little later on. And Mike Bradley, mayor of Sarnia, talks about all the problems that uh, all the spinoff problems that these protests at the bridges, at the Ambassador Bridge first in Windsor, uh, Windsor, Detroit, which got going Monday night, and now a Sarnia Port Huron protest affecting so much with not just our supply chain. I know you roll your eyes sometimes when you hear the word uh, phrase supply chain, but uh, but it's causing shifts to shut down and automobile manufacturing plants to shut down and uh, send their workers home without proper work. We'll get there uh, as well. Toronto Today starts now. How can 16-year-olds play basketball against each other? 16-year-olds play basketball against each other with no masks on. And I'm not saying this should not. And we need to have five-year-olds, five- and six-year-olds eating lunch quietly and taking the mask off only for small bites at a time. Not every school is doing that. Don't get me wrong. I know there's people that say, come on, that's too doom and gloom. My kid doesn't deal with it. Well, I hear from parents that tell me their kid does deal with that. I've got stories from parents. Again, I can't, I can't even read them all on the air. I know people say that. Some, I, we're getting so many messages. I'm telling you, the messages I get from parents who talk about what's going on in their schools right now is really significant. I'll give you one really quick. I want to give you one really quick and then talk about the border. I'm going to read this from a guy who wrote this to me because it just occurred to me when I heard that about extracurriculars to say, um, I want to share, this is a dad. I want to share our experience this week as I respect your point of view, even if I don't agree, as you seem very open and honest <laughs> and back most of, of uh, most most up with solid information. We're a fully vaccinated family of three who decided to travel for a hot vacation as the rules were in place to avoid our daughter missing more than the week we would be away. Upon return to school yesterday, in the words of the principal, the teacher, quote, freaked out that, that our daughter was at school after traveling. My daughter was isolated immediately for over an hour at the school while the principal figured out the rules and promptly brought her to class. Fortunately, my daughter says it didn't bother her, but it's not a great feeling knowing this happened. Who is to blame? Um, I'm not interested in posting this myself. I have shared my thoughts with the principal. With March break coming, I would hate for other kids to deal with the same thing after their travels and having teachers admin not aware of the current rules. Thank you for that, um, sir. And I would also point out that uh, it's probably not, you know, all, all these things seem so independent of each other. Um, I know that I've heard from parents who say that, like, uh, my, kid, my kid's teacher talks about COVID in the class talks about what we need to do, talks about saying, I hope we wear masks the rest. I've heard from parents saying, hey, I hope we have masks the rest of the year, you guys. And even if they drop the mandate, I want you to wear the mask. 
That's a teacher telling kids that. Young kids. Wrong doesn't begin to describe that. That's out of your, you watch cop shows ever and someone says, well, that's not my jurisdiction. That ain't your jurisdiction to tell kids they should wear masks. The second the mandate gets lifted, you still, we, I still want you to wear them. There's a little bit of emotional blackmail happening for that. That's not good. And it's not right. It's incredibly improper as a matter of fact. Get it together. And I would hope that if a principal knew that, he would take action of some extent and, uh, and chew down on that teacher, male or female. I don't care. I don't have time for delineating who said what and when. But when I hear that from parents, and I've heard it from multiple parents in the last week and a half, in a couple different cases, that worries me a little bit. We're going the same direction. We're all headed. We're all headed in one way. If you want to get there slower than the rest of us, that's fine. Of course, I'm conscious of the healthcare system. Of course, I'm conscious of all these things that are going to happen here. I'm looking forward to another great number uh, of ICU uh, beds dropping today in terms of being used. We saw we're seeing this constantly. Um, that's almost something we're looking forward to now. Whereas in January, we knew what was going to happen in December. We knew what was going to happen with schools close to four and a half weeks cases. We're going to shoot up like crazy. Yesterday, we dropped 607 to 448. Or excuse me, since January 27th, we dropped 607 to 448. But we were just, I think, just under 500 last Friday or Monday. But I remember it being significant that we went down from uh, over 500 ICU beds. That's a 27% drop over 13 days. Healthcare workers are exhausted and they're whipped and they're strapped and they're stretched so, so thin. And schools opened up. And for once and pretty much for all, um, those that kind of fear mongered about school, demonized the process. There's a lot to criticize the government for in December. Let's criticize the government for all fall. I'm with you there. Okay. I'm, I'm right. I'm, I'm banging the drum there with you. But uh, there were a lot of people that, Kind of hoping for chaos for schools. Sorry it didn't work out for you. Sorry most parents are pretty satisfied. Sorry most teachers shrugged their shoulders and said, I'm glad I got my third shot. I got the mask I want to wear. I feel comfortable in there. Let's do this. I don't want to teach from home ever again. And You don't want your kid in front of a screen learning from home ever again. So um, the numbers are trending in a very positive direction. The school sports thing's really interesting um, because I, I do think it's going to get the ball rolling to further stuff. That's a change yesterday, by the way, from the health minister, Christine Elliott, saying we don't plan to drop this or that anytime soon, but that's a big step today. Um, and obviously all day long on 640 Toronto, I'm sure there'll be reaction to that um, from Dr. Kieran Moore a little later on in the afternoon. Let me go here and it's right to Ottawa. Um, I don't know where this goes today. There was a lot of talk about uh, them picking up the freedom convoy that kind of converged on the city on the 28th of January. And uh, it's the 10th of February now, 13 days. Um, the, tomorrow's day, well, tomorrow would be day four. Uh, today's day 14, and tomorrow's day 15. Um, I love the headline in the Ottawa Citizen. City looking into injunction, but no action yet. 154 bylaw tickets paid. The vast majority of people from sources that I've spoke to came from Quebec. That's not pinning it on Quebec residents, but the majority of people in Ottawa, at least last weekend, were from Quebec. It's an easy haul over there, right? If you've known people before that live in Hull or Elmer, Quebec, uh, right on that Ottawa board, e really easy to get across. Really easy. Um, 
there's new encampments being set up regularly. The GM in the city of emergency and protective services said there were 150 bylaw tickets in the uh, red zone. That's the main protest area. That's where a lot of the TV footage gets shot on Tuesday. How many of those 154 tickets do you think are getting paid? How many? How many would you uh, write back and go, I'm challenging this ticket? And do you think the city of Ottawa has the time or wherewithal or bandwidth at any time in the next couple months uh, to hound those people for tickets? I've been hounded for tickets before. I, I don't know if I mentioned it on the air. I got a ticket coming back from Ottawa specifically in 2009 when I lived in a different car in a different house. And to be honest, I'm going to be I'm going to lay it straight here. Um, I, I was sure that I paid the ticket, but we moved and it's possible that I didn't. <laughs> it's possible that I didn't. I got that ticket sent to me this past like summer, like right at the end of the summer in August from like Leeds, Grenville County. And they wanted like $220. They found me, they found me after I'm like, Rich, I'm like Dr. Richard Kimball. They tracked me down after 12 years. Okay. It could have been that a one-armed man was driving the car. I don't remember. I don't even remember what I was, what kind of, what, what could I have been wearing in 2009? Parachute pants and wide collars. They found me. So, um, best of luck to the city of Ottawa. Like, are the residents supposed to be impressed by this? They can't get anywhere. They can't get to university. They cannot get to their jobs. They can't get to medical appointments. They can't get here and there. This weekend will be probably, probably another scenario here. And it's one thing to say, oh, well, we're advising you to avoid non-essential travel. That's great. But we're back to those making those same arguments with the pandemic. You tell me what essential is. Seeing relatives, going to the doctors, um, going to work, uh, making a package delivery because it's my job to get those deliveries out. You tell me what's non-essential and what isn't. So, wow. I, I mean, there's so many layers to this. I'm going to get to the Ambassador Bridge issue in a sec. Steve Bell in Ottawa is the uh, is the um, is is the sort of assistant cop, if you will, to Chief Peter Slowey, and he had this to say about the protest continuing. There is absolutely a need to end this. We are actively working to do it through peaceful. Uh, progressive negotiations, but we also have looked at enforcement angles to move us ahead. Okay. Yeah. There's going, there, it's going to get a little bit more rough as far as I think the police being aggressive are, are protest there. They won't tow the tow trucks, by the way, we know this, right? Like they do not want to touch the tow trucks. That was an option last week at this time. And early last week, what are we talking about? We're into 14 days. It's been an option almost the entire time and they won't do it. They think that's the uh, that's sort of the bridge too far is to actually move the tow trucks that are blocking certain lanes and causing a lot of disturbance. Honking seems to have stopped because that went to court as well. Um, Windsor, the city of Windsor's required requested federal assistance as that blockade continues. They're into day four of that. That was Monday night um, where the border crossing in Windsor. And remember, we saw this first in Alberta uh, early last week, um, but it's. It's just now it's just so much of a protest about all public health measures, some of which is obviously controlled by the province. But uh, the Ambassador Bridge is still closed. Uh, traffic's coming across the tunnel, but it's still factoring in to shutting certain things down. It's a huge, huge problem. Mayor Drew Dilkins in Windsor documented this as well. But listen, he said again, and where we heard this before and where didn't it work? Ottawa. They're using kid gloves here. My words, not his. 
because they don't want more protesters there to escalate. Well, that didn't work out too well for the capital city. Here's the mayor of Windsor. Such action may inflame the situation uh, and for, certainly cause more folks to come here and add to the protest. And we don't want to risk additional conflict. Okay, well, I'd hate to inflame anything. Um, but guess what? They're feeling emboldened. There's inflaming and emboldening. And I don't think there's any doubt. I'm not sure it could be possibly argued that protesters are looking around, seeing what's happening, even with some of the provincial regulations and saying, we got them on the run. See what's happening in Alberta, Saskatchewan, uh, to some extent, Quebec. We've got them on the run. We're influencing this. Now, that might not be true, but if you think it, it emboldens you. Jacob Loring from the Toronto Star, who we've had on before, notes Toyota's three Ontario auto plants are going to stop production for the rest of the week. Why? The ambis- Ambassador Bridge blockade in, in uh, Windsor. So that's six auto plants now shut down across our province. There's two Ford plants as well. There's a tremendous reliance on the bridge. 40% of all produce comes across that bridge in the winter. And most of the stuff spoils if you don't get it to its destination quickly enough. You're going to see this. Telling you this right now. I don't like saying it. You're going to see this in the grocery store. Tremendously influence the grocery store. What things cost, how much they have within the next week. Maybe by the end of the weekend. Maybe if you're doing your Super Bowl Sunday shopping, you'll see it. Um, it is happening uh, for sure. The ripple effect of, of the protests at the Windsor, Detroit, Ambassador Bridge uh, is factoring in. There's shifts that are going to be missed, by the way, in terms of uh, Michigan factories. We talked about six uh, shifts being missed uh, for the rest of the week. Two Ford uh, shifts and a couple Toyota shifts as well uh, throughout Ontario. Now, I read this in the Detroit Free Press this morning. Love that paper, especially when I live there. Uh, GM's canceled two shifts at one Michigan factory, rerouting trucks to keep another plant running. But um, what are our American friends going to think? Like they're missing work, they're missing paychecks, they're they're missing deadlines, uh, all because we're blocking traffic on uh, major international gateways between the U.S. and Canada. It's happened at the Ambassador Bridge. We want to get the latest on the Blue Water Bridge and bring in the Mayor of Sarnia. He is Mike Bradley. It is great to have you on the show. Um, last we talked was right before Thanksgiving, and things were were headed in such a positive direction. There's no way, say, even at the start of the year, Mike, uh, we could see this kind of thing coming where we're having these kind of conversations, was there? No, Greg, you're right. And, you know, I've been optimistic going into the new year, like many people, that we would exit COVID, you know, whether it be in whatever month, the uh, first six months. And now we've been hit with this uh, really devastating, I call it an atomic bomb, of economic uh, destruction that has been brought forward by a fairly limited number of people. When you saw the, I, I saw the footage really late Monday. I think I was up, I think um, it might've been that night of the, the Canada USA women's hockey game. So I want to stay up and see some of that. What a great rivalry that is. And I, but then I see that the ambassador bridge is being blocked at, uh, at Huron church, you'd know Windsor, not as well as Sarney, but you, you know, Windsor really well. Once that happens, what was your initial reaction to it? Are you thinking, this could come to our city and have a real ripple effect here. Well, uh, exactly, Greg, because, in fact, the OPP were telling truckers uh, coming down the 401, shift over to Sarnia because of the Blue Water Bridge. Uh, here in church, if anyone's familiar with Windsor, is really a, a four-lane road through the heart of the city. And once we knew that was going to be shut and there was going to be difficulties, we didn't get protesters here on Tuesday. That was you know, the night after you mentioned what just happened. But they didn't have to. 
because we had three, four, or five-hour lineups at the Blue Water Bridge from truckers trying to get to the U.S., uh, trying to get through using the Blue Water Bridge. And that was happening on both sides. So, I mean, there was 10, 15-mile backups on the Port Huron side trying to get into Canada. And what's interesting, again, is that, you know, I don't use the word truckers or farmers on the protesters. I use the word protesters because what happened here on one, uh, Sunday afternoon when there was a, an episode is the real truckers started laying in to the protesters saying, you're stopping us from our livelihood and you're costing us money. And you're also, you know, costing Canada big money. And that's what uh, you were just reporting this morning. Um, Sarnia Port Huron, there's probably three, four hundred million dollars in trade a day goes across those bridges. And the economic impact of that not happening is severe. Loud for our listeners, Mike, I'm sure some know it's really easy on the American side to get from Detroit to Port Huron. If something is wrong on the American, you, you just zip up 94 and you see two signs, go to Chicago, which is always great, and go to Port Huron. It's a lot harder, isn't it, to go on the Canadian side from Windsor. It's a lot of back highways. There's not an easy route to go Windsor to Sarnia, is there? No, there isn't. And Greg, you know the area well, that it's probably uh, two hours to get from Sarnia to Windsor on a good yeah. day. So you and put it's about in. 40 minutes Detroit to Port Huron, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, yeah. often... Um, in regular times, I would use the Blue Water Bridge to go to Windsor. It, I could get to uh, Detroit uh, within an hour. And so this is really uh, complicated things. Um, one of the complications, which isn't really being reported, is the Blue Water Bridge is the only bridge that can take hazardous waste to transport back and forth between the two countries. So all that is lining up in our community, sitting here on the highway. And that's not good. Plus, we have perishable goods. Plus, in both communities, more in Windsor than in Sarnia, we have a lot of people that go back and forth working each day in the other community, particularly in Windsor, Detroit, and the medical community. There's thousands of people that go over from Windsor every day to uh, work in the medical uh, system in Detroit. Mike Bradley is our guest mayor of Sarnia. I was going to ask that. There must be people who are now, you know, Sarnia and Windsor, staying with friends, having to get a hotel for the week, thinking the back and forth to come back five days back and forth. It, it, it's a sacrifice at the best of times, Mike, right? We know this, but it's a tremendous, tremendous uh, worry to think I, I, I'm supposed to get home and it's going to take four hours to get home to my family, five hours. I, I'm going to stay here instead for the whole week. And that, that tears families apart. Hey, Greg, I was at Metro yesterday and the cashier was talking to me, who I know, and she said her husband's trapped in Michigan. He's a trucker. He does the auto parts, supply stuff. He's stuck 10 miles on the other side of the border and all he wants to do is get home to his family. And, you know, we can live with some aggravation in our lives for a day or two or three. The difficulty right now, Greg, is we're trying to figure out, okay, where's the solution coming? I mean, it's put in the hands of the police and they're having real difficulties, excuse me, in Windsor, Detroit, and obviously in Ottawa. So where's the solution coming? And I think it really needs to come from the top in Ottawa and in Queen's Park, and to say, look, forget all the jurisdictional stuff. This is a national crisis. We need to resolve it. You've been mayor of your city for a long time. It's, it's, this has not been the easiest time to be uh, in politics, period. What do you hear from your constituents in terms of uh, their concerns, even leading up to this, even watching things start to fester and develop in Ottawa? What do, you, what do your voters um, tell you? Well, Greg, I have the very small minority that are the anti-people, anti-masking, anti-vaccine. In fact, I haven't parked my car in my regular spot at City Hall for three months now because of the threats. That's part of the job, unfortunately. The general population are getting concerned in the community that uh, their safety, uh, the disruption. And I can really sympathize with the people of Ottawa for what they've gone through through these 13 or 14 days. Um, You're trying to plan, what can I do? Where can I go? Will I be safe? And again, we're not a large community, 75,000 people, and the Blue Water Bridge is in neighboring Point Edward. They've got about 2,000 people. So it's frightening people. And they also don't know what the outcome is. And it's a sad prediction to make 
But you can't keep on having this type of anger and activity and disruption without someone getting hurt. And that's where this is leading. The activities, the rhetoric, the, the anger, the anti-government stuff is leading to a temperature that is so high, someone's going to get hurt, whether it's in Sarnia or Windsor or in Ottawa. I think an added caveat for people there, um, and, and again, it's with us here in Toronto, there's lots of places that uh, that make sense to, to fly out of. If you don't like Pearson, you can go to City Airport, you can fly out of Hamilton. Probably everybody that's on any kind of flight whatsoever. London's limited, I think, in, in its airports. So is Sarnia. I picked my sister up at Sarnia Airport before coming from Ottawa. I like doing that. That's convenient. But Metro Airport right in Romulus is a massive hub for people that need to fly internationally for work or go see relatives or go... So I can only imagine you've got a lot of people in your area who go to Metro Airport for work or for or for leisure. And they're wondering now if uh, what like nobody would, could even guess what time they'd have to leave to make certain that they make their flight. Flying is perilous enough right now with all the regulations. Yes. And I get those inquiries every day from citizens trying to get to Florida, get to Metro Airport. As you say, we're within an hour, um, really, to that airport compared to London or to uh, to Pearson uh, with a couple of hours. So, yes, it's a big part of our daily lives. But again, I guess the thing is, OK, what's the solution here? When is this going to end? I've been, you know, in this country, the, the police don't uh, are directed by the politicians. But my response has been very simple. What I've been asked by the media, I would be ticketing, I would be towing and I would be arresting if necessary. Because the softly, softly approach is not working with this very hardcore group of uh, demonstrators. And that's what my colleague, the mayor of Windsor, said yesterday, Drew Dilkins. This, this core group is unreasonable and they do not want a solution. Well, that's what I, I find that, it, uh, you know, I find that comment. Um, I, want, I want you to elaborate on that because I, we played a clip from um, Mayor Dilkins at the start of the show where he said, you know, we, we worry that we could inflame the situation here. And I'm thinking, OK, but I, we just watched this. With Mayor Watson, and if you don't do anything, like it's if you don't quell the disturbance to any extent, it'll grow. And even with what's happening provincially, Mike, like I think these protesters feel emboldened. I think they think they're making a difference in provincial policy. So that so they're they're kind of puffing their chest out a little bit a week and a half into this. Oh, I, I agree, and I believe this next provincial election is going to be probably the worst for those type of tactics. I think you're going to see the People's Party of Ontario. You're going to see a lot of these people who I think are a lot of the same people uh, just on wheels. And I think you're going to see a lot of anger. And I think Ford's going to have a real problem getting through that election because of that. And I'm not a Ford fan, but I'm also not someone who wants to see what I'm seeing out there. And in fact, he called me a couple of days ago about what was happening here. And Mm -hmm. that's what we talked about. You know, ticket, tow, and arrest if necessary. But we can't direct the police, and I have to respect the OPP because they're the, in charge of this operation around here. The interesting thing is what these... Uh, did, but let me ask you, did he tell you he wants he wants people ticketed, towed, and arrested? Or did you say to him, you know, Premier Ford, we need this to happen more? That's what I said to him. Now, he dismissed the, the ticketing. And I can understand why he said that, because they don't care about that. You throw that in the garbage can. But the towing is a big part of this. And, you know, we talked about what happened in Toronto last week, where I thought it was handled very, very well, versus Ottawa. And we don't want an Ottawa. No Canadian city wants that to happen. But we're not seeing progress on this. And the other thing I do want to mention, this loose group, which doesn't appear to be that organized, what they do is they, um, they give misleading information to the police. So the police go over here and then... The, they do something somewhere else. They're just enjoying the anarchy of disrupting our communities. Mayor Mike Bradley, I know you got to run. Give me 30 seconds. Um, sure. You're a long-suffering Lions fan. I hate to remind you, you must be pulling for Matt Stafford this weekend. You must be, right? Well, there's no question. This, this whole area, as you know, <laughs> Sarnia, London, Windsor, uh, that poor man, what he suffered through all those years. 
I mean, there's that old joke about what do you call 57 men sitting around a TV on Super Bowl day, the Detroit Lions. So we de facto believe the Detroit Lions are in the Super Bowl. Yeah, harder to be a mayor in Ontario right now or be Lions starting quarterback for 12 years. That's an interesting topic. Uh, we'll pursue <laughs> it at a, at a happier time, I, I think. Uh, yeah, thank you true. very much for making the time for our, our audience here in Toronto, uh, Mayor Bradley. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much, Greg. Bye-bye. You got it. Mayor Mike Bradley. That's some really interesting comments there about those conversations with Doug Ford I want to pick up on in a little bit. Our next guest uh, in Sarnia uh, at the edge of the Blue Water Bridge. Um, he was at the Ambassador Bridge the last couple of days, so he's been covering it all in Western Ontario. He's Global News investigative reporter Sean O'Shea. Sean, I always enjoy our conversations. Thanks for making the time. Uh, and uh, And how are you this morning? I'm well, thanks, Greg. Uh, happy to uh, be joining you again this morning from uh, lovely Point Edward, right beside Sarnia. I know where that I is. I know you know um, this area. I know, <laughs> but I, 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 if someone had told you on New Year's Day, yeah, you'll be, uh, you'll be doing some, uh, you know, you'll be doing God's work in uh, Lambton County and Essex County, you'd be like, what'll be happening there? This was really hard to to spot and predict a month ago, wasn't it? I believe you're right. I did not believe that I'd be, you know, accumulating stamps on a passport of Ontario, visiting all the locations for these various protests. And I'm chuckling about that, but it's really serious. I mean, it's incredibly serious. And the reality is so much of what we take for granted, whether it's going to the grocery store and picking up fresh vegetables or somebody going to, you know, go to their job because they're working as a shift employee at an auto plant or a supplier, these things are all in jeopardy. I mean, the Ford Windsor en uh, engine plant has been shut down as a result of this. Shifts at Oakville uh, are now down. Uh, this is just the beginning of the effects of, of shutting down the Ambassador Bridge uh, on Monday. We're at Thursday. It's only going to get worse if the protest continues, Greg. Well, I want to ask you about some of those conversations in Windsor, but we're seeing this morning, I'm sure you're aware, but I'm making our listeners aware that GM has canceled two shifts at a Michigan factory. Um, they, there's, like, there's going to be chaos through the auto industry in Michigan. And you and I know Michigan just, it's the Motor City for a reason. So um, I don't want to play the, like, what they must think of us card, but we're impacting American lives and American households and American paychecks to a tremendous, uh, to a tremendous degree. It's a great point. And it was a point that was raised by Drew Dilkins, the mayor of Windsor, at his press conference yesterday afternoon. He talked about, and it's, it's so true, we don't think of it, but the auto industry looks at Canada as part of America, right? I mean, the flow of parts between the two countries is a free flow. Yes, they stop at customs. Yes, there's paperwork. But they talk about how parts and, and finished the finished auto, parts have gone back and forth the border six or seven times by the time the vehicle's finished. So if American companies like Ford, General Motors, and others can't count on Canada as a reliable place to do business with respect to parts and reliability, then they're going to find someplace else. I mean, th this is never, I've covered the auto industry in part uh, during my career, and they don't ever think about the destabilizing effect of, of what politics might might have. Uh, and yet this is the first time where this is really an issue. Yeah, there have been strikes before, but that happens on both sides of the border. This is a big deal, and this is a really big deal for people who work in the auto sector and people who derive an income from other things as a result of the auto sector. Sean O'Shea's on Toronto today with Greg Brady on 640 Toronto. Uh, he's done amazing work uh, these last couple of weeks in uh, difficult conditions for the media. Before we get to what you were hearing a lot of in, in Windsor, I, I want to ask you about that. I'm sure, um, it, uh, did we underestimate, have we underestimated a general, how would I put it, um, distrust of, of all of what we do? Did it come 
Did it, did it build slowly? And, and I, you know, I, I'm sure you, you wrestle probably yourself as a journalist to say, am I, am I amplifying some of this, this craziness or are there legitimate points that people are asking about with, um, with, with who we cover and why we cover them? There's a lot of fascinating questions around it. I'm sure you've wrestled with it. Sure. And the reality is, Greg, that when we do stories about this, I get emails and tweets and commentary that says, don't talk about these people. Don't report on this. You're just giving oxygen. And, you know, during the pandemic for two years, we weren't covering downtown protests all the time. It's a no win for journalists you know, to, to a large extent. But to your earlier point of underestimating, when you get down here, especially in the Windsor-Essex area, I'm, I'm amazed, even beyond the protesters who are standing up at, at different places to block and, and that issue, you know, just by the Blue Water Bridge yesterday, people coming over to our camera position and talking about how they don't believe in mandatory vaccinations and things like that. And these are everyday people. And I, I think to some extent we did underestimate the number of people who oppose these kinds of things and are more quiet about it. Um, these aren't people necessarily going to protest. So there is definitely, especially down in this area and other parts of the province outside of the GTA, a lot more people than we probably think who have these views. The one thing um, we're about two weeks removed from the prime minister's comments. And, and I, I remember coming on the air Thursday and this is me saying this. I wish there'd been some demarcation of here are the organizers. This is where, this is where they're way out there with some of what they think. This is, this is alt-right stuff. It's conspiracy theory stuff. It, but, but I, but I want to have legitimate conversations with some Canadians who feel, um, you know, um, emboldened to speak out, who are frustrated, who are wondering what you know where the off ramps are he didn't make that 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 fork in the road sean and to me like i don't know if that emboldened people but i'm sure there's people you're talking to in windsor watching what's happening in alberta saskatchewan quebec and going we're making a difference and that and they're puffing their chest out a little bit as a result greg there is an absolute sense uh, that i found in uh windsor especially that we can do this we have the right to do this we're doing the right thing for canadians by doing this I mean, a lot of the people don't, under, you know, definitely underestimate the damage that is being done, the damage in their own communities. There are hundreds and thousands of jobs, for example, in this area, Windsor-Essex area and Sarnia and places like this that are affected. Uh, but there's a definite view among people I've spoken to, uh, and the group was much friendlier toward the media, I must say, down in Windsor than in places like Ottawa and Vaughan. Uh, but yeah. definitely the view that they can do it, and nobody's going to stop them. And the reality is the police in Windsor, I, you know, Button hold the chief of police on the street there and, and before a press conference. And, you know, they're they're not in a position to break this up. And, and it's remarkable. And I said this on Global National the other night. It's remarkable how few people in Windsor are involved in the protest. Maybe 100 people, you know, four or five or six semi-trailer trucks, lots of pickup trucks. But it's not that big a group. But the police do not want to go and try to move, that, move in. They say they can't do it right now. So it's really a small number of people, relatively speaking, who are creating the havoc that we're seeing right now and the effects that your listeners are going to be feeling at grocery stores and everywhere else over the next few days. They're certainly going to see it in in the stores. I got about 60 seconds here. I'm sure uh, that you've heard uh, about Ottawa right now. Um, Friends of mine are telling me there's police on in Toronto. There's police on every corner. They're waiting a, a busy weekend once again. Um, that traffic's going to be awful. It's going to snarl. Maybe we've got to, you know, line up and protect Hospital Row again. Like it, it just sounds like a carbon copy of last weekend here in Toronto. I'm sure you're probably hearing the same thing. Yeah, we're heading back to Toronto and and looking at covering that as well. 
Uh, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Bridges closed, points of entry closed, police on corners, and the uncertainty about what is going to happen next. And again, what the mayor said in Windsor, it's a leaderless group to a large extent, especially in a place like like, uh, Windsor. They're not sure who to negotiate with, what they can negotiate specifically. And it's not getting any better unless something happens. Everybody knows that something is going to have to happen to change this. But what we've seen so far is nobody's got the answer. And the people, for example, on the bridges aren't going anywhere. Your reporting's been so valuable, Sean. Uh, you know how, uh, how I, I view uh, your contributions. Thanks very much for making the time with our show. Thanks, Greg. All the best. Over the, this week, we saw Liberal MP uh, Joel Lightbound speak out and say that, um, look, a lot of good things have been done here, but there's concern about how the trucker convoy protests have been handled. There's concern. Uh, he wants to listen more um, about the legitimate concerns about mandates. Uh, yesterday, a uh, a fellow Liberal MP spoke out in uh, Quebec. Stephanie Schwinard was on our show yesterday and spoke of um, Mr. Lightbound's comments and, and weighed in with this. Personally, I really hope that he doesn't get kicked out because, uh, like you said, I thought he was uh, measured in his uh, in, in his tone, uh, and he reiterated that he had confidence in the government. Um, and it doesn't mean because you don't agree with a hundred percent of uh, what you your 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 team has done that you're not a good team player. That's it. You know, honestly, you can absolutely um, have reasonable conversation, reasonable debate. That's what politics is supposed to be. That's what I remember about university classes. You'd go there. I was a poli-sci major. You'd go there, um, dispute, uh, argue. Uh, hopefully things didn't get too loud. They're not supposed to get personal. You would debate policy and, and measures and things that were happening. And and then you'd leave. And maybe you'd see the person that night for a beer. And like that's politics can be like that. Eve Robillard was the uh, MP that did that. Uh, yesterday, I want to bring on uh, Nathaniel Erskine Smith. He's a liberal MP uh, for Beaches uh, and e- East York. It's great to have you on again. Thank you for making the time for our audience, Nathaniel. Oh, good. Thanks for having me. Fascinating time to be a politician, isn't it? You must lay there at night and go, "Wow, um, you know, I signed up for uh, to be accountable, but uh, the last two years have been really something uh, for anyone in any level of government, right?" It has been strange times. We all lived through strange times. The one worry, I think, in the position that I'm lucky to have at the moment is uh, as a male and a white male in office, I don't receive the same vitriol that colleagues certainly receive, but we've started to receive notices from the parliamentary protective service. We've had briefings from RCMP and it's concerning the level of vitriol, I guess, directed at politicians. Um, And I think it's just a sign of the times in some ways, but I think just a sign of just the frustration and, and how exhausted everyone is. Well, what has the Ottawa experience been like for you? I know um, one of your uh, one of your colleagues on the other side of the aisle, Charlie Angus, the NDP MP, mentioned that that um, you know they were warned um, security wise that uh, people were hunting down home phone numbers, home addresses, where kids go to school. It's tremendously concerning um, for politicians uh, of all sorts. That was concerning to receive that notice from the Sergeant at Arms about doxing attempts. There, it was also concerning. Just the language that you see used, not I mean, many people who attended the protest, obviously it was peaceful and uh, when it started out at least, and, and people, many people attended with frustrations and to vent legitimate anger in, in different ways, although I might disagree with the the, the, the fundamental ideas, I, I respect the right to protest, 
but the but the language some of the organizers and, and some individuals use around the Nuremberg Code and you'll be tried for treason and it, it gets to a level of absurdity in some ways, but a, a dangerous absurdity at times too. I'm glad you mentioned that about uh, about the the white male thing because you see it in the media. You you're seeing it right now. Like we can disagree about an op-ed or say that's that's not fair. That's we're playing a game of broken telephone here. But I'd tell you the same thing. I get stuff, but I know it's not as bad as racialized colleagues. I know it's not as bad as what uh, as what women that do what I do or or that our TV reporters receive. So I'm glad you pointed that out. It is unfortunate in the extreme when you also consider the need for a diversity of voices in politics and that that pushes diversity away and and that diversity of thought but diversity of, of experience it's, it's especially unfortunate when um so i mentioned this the last couple of days and listen there's um you know you're you're in government there's 160 liberal mps all told um when mr robillard makes comments yesterday and says what he says when mr lightbound says what he says two days ago um how do you react to that do you do you feel where they're coming from in some ways, yes. So first, I'd say I have not been shy at times about disagreeing with the government. So I respect anyone of my colleagues when they step up and they voice their disagreement in a reasonable way. I disagreed, obviously, with any number of things that uh, Joelle and, and Eve suggested. I mean, I think there was an unfortunate blending of federal and provincial rules. It confuses the issue. If I was a Quebec MP, I'd be frustrated and mad about curfew. Just as an Ontario MP, I was frustrated and mad when Schools were getting closed yet again in January, but these restrictions have all been provincial. At the federal level, I think it's fair to say we should revisit rules around travel and we should reevaluate our rules and keep them with the evidence. And I think even Teresa Tam has said we do need to reevaluate mandates at a point in time to see if there's still value in, in continuing with them in the course of this pandemic. I think it's unfortunate, though, if we cast doubt on their effectiveness because they have been massively effective at increasing vaccination rates to save lives and protect one another. So they've been incredibly valuable as, as a tool at the federal level. And so I just, I, I worry a little bit about that. I worry a little bit about the timing. I don't think the the illegal blockades are acceptable and that kind of lawlessness needs to end. So the timing I think was unfortunate. And so that any number of ways that I disagreed with my colleague, but I, I'll, I'll say, I, I think it's fair that that, that emphasis on tone and, and emphasizing tolerance, I think is is necessary and we should all tone down divisive rhetoric and remember we're trustees in the public interest. So I respected that. And, and I think it's right to try to push the conversation to say, let's listen to Dr. Tam and let's listen to others and let's reevaluate restrictions. And we already see provinces doing that. And we see the federal government I know has, is undertaking a review of travel rules and they're doing the same thing. So, you know, I, I think there's a, a, a sensible way of proceeding with the conversation. I just worry a little bit that when you see, you know, rebel news and you see certain members of the the illegal blockade start to hold up those voices to say mandates have never worked and mandates are illegal. You know, I, I worry a little bit, but th- that there's capture there that's unfortunate. Yeah, they can co-opt that message. I, I appreciate that answer from you. Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, our guest on Toronto Today with Greg Brady on 640 Toronto. You know, it, it, politics can be broken down really simply sometimes, Nathaniel. It, it can be almost like, you know, you're at recess on the playground in elementary school and it's sort of like, Say it to my face. I'd much rather hear somebody have a critique or a, a criticism or something that I can improve on personally or professionally. That's what politics probably should should get. We'd all love to see it get back there instead of knives and backs. And, and I think at the minimum, you're documenting that, that you had two liberal MPs speak out, say their piece, do it respectfully, do it with a, a, an element of decorum and respect. And that's that's what people want, I think, from our politicians. 
And it's what our party fundamentally is and should be about. It's one of the reasons I got involved, actually. If you track back to Trudeau's leadership, he emphasized the need to restore and empower parliamentarians, restore greater power to parliamentarians and, and backbenchers, and to say we need freer votes in the House of Commons and, and to establish a greater degree of independence. I've certainly, as I say, uh, tried my best to exercise that independence at times as well, and it was good to see Joel do the same. I, you know, I don't have to agree with everything he says to, to respect him as a colleague and to want him to stay as a colleague. And I think you're right about just being upfront, being principled and being honest and, and uh, not to be too partisan, but I do worry a little bit. I, I've got a lot of respect for a lot of conservative colleagues, Michael Chong and, and others, Scott Reed and others among them. But, you know, the current interim leader is just one example. She's got emails being sent to Aaron O'Toole saying, let's keep the protest going and try and pin them on Trudeau. And then she's up in the house saying, Trudeau, you got to end these protests. And that, that, that kind of duplicitous, I think, is really unfortunate in our politics. So I agree. Be, everyone should be upfront, be principled and be honest in their representation. If, if you are to ask, if you are to be asked the question, is there, you know, strong support for the prime minister within the liberal caucus? That answer is a yes, correct? Yeah, there's, there's strong support for the prime minister. I think there's an understanding that Probably none of us agree with everything that the government's done over these last six years in terms of every policy we put on the table. But but I don't think every liberal voter, every liberal donor, every liberal volunteer agrees with everything that we've done over these last six years. And no one should expect that in our politics. Um, you noted this. And, and uh, I, I, again, I can't emphasize this enough, um, whether people are objective uh, in politics or whether they feel um, a, a partisan lean. We have not done a good job. I don't know who would argue otherwise in vaccinating the rest of the planet, providing not just our technology, but our uh, our vaccine shipments and give them to where some of these fires are raging across um, the world. Um, I know we got a lot of balls that we're juggling right now. Look at the start of our conversation. But can we sort of do the do the proverbial walk and chew gum at the same time and do better? Can we focus our our efforts? There must be people with full-time jobs that can do it, that are that are um, that are able to help us get vaccines where they need to go across our planet. How can we do it better? Well, I don't think we can afford not to do it better. And when people are frustrated that this pandemic isn't over and everyone's frustrated, this pandemic only ends when we've got high vaccination rates everywhere. And we're lucky to have high vaccination rates in Canada. I've been frustrated with the federal government's actions at times. As you know, I wish we had rapid tests everywhere across this country many months ago as an example but look we not only did we deliver the CERB significantly and, and and support as a lifeline individuals and businesses through this crisis but we've got vaccines in this country and the rollout was incredibly effective and that's in part thanks to the federal government's procurement efforts so great great news domestically but when you look at the domestic federal response versus the international federal response there's uh, i think a, a completely disproportionate uh, comparison because you've got 500 billion dollars spent on our domestic pandemic response and only 1.3 billion spent to deliver vaccines around the world as part of the global act accelerator and that global collaboration. So we have to double down on those efforts as a country, we have to double, double down on those efforts as an international community because we don't prevent the next variant, we don't protect our economic recovery, we don't save the lives we should without global vaccine equity. You tabled a motion in parliament that, that emphasizes the need to do more. Are you hoping that uh, that uh, again, you know, no matter what's contentious about about mandates or restrictions or policy or anything, that there's some you know unilateral approval that the NDP, the Bloc, and the Conservatives all look and say, we don't want to be dealing with this the next election. We don't want to be dealing 
with this a half decade from now. So let's move on this. 100%. So none of us want lockdowns. None of us want restrictions. Mandates are one way to end restrictions. And, and that's an important thing to emphasize that they've been incredibly effective at increasing vaccination rates. But we only stop lockdowns and restrictions going forward if we prevent future variants. And we only do that effectively if we've got vaccine equity. And so I'm confident that the government understands that. I don't know the scale of effort we're going to see in the budget, but I hope it's a significant one. We, we need to, it's not enough, I think, to say we're the sixth leading contributor to the act accelerator when that effort at the moment is completely underfunded and underwhelming. We need to look back at this time and say Canada was a leader and we pushed other countries to be a leader as well. And, and we delivered on the most important intervention in the greatest crisis in our lifetimes, and that's vaccine equity. Hey, your constituents uh, should appreciate you being uh, accountable uh, to them. I thank you very much for spending the time uh, with our audience, some of whom I'm already hearing from via text are your constituents. Thanks for being out there and uh, and and being so blunt. I appreciate the time. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Take care. You got it. Nathaniel Erskine Smith, Liberal MP. By the way, we had another uh, politician, Sarnia Mayor Mike Bradley. I would just rather talk about how nice Sarnia is. I, I would. Um, and someday I'll do that again with him. But uh, he talked about the conversation that he had with the premier, Doug Ford. I think this is interesting. I think this is something the other shows might be talking about a little later on in the day. Um, the, he wants he wants the Ontario police and the province to be a little more hands on, quote unquote, with protesters. This was our exchange earlier in the show. But let me ask you, did he tell you he wants he wants people ticketed, towed and arrested? Or did you say to him, you know, Premier Ford, we need this to happen more? That's what I said to him. Now, he dismissed the, the ticketing. And I can understand why he said that, because they don't care about that. You throw that in the garbage can. But the towing is a big part of this. And, you know, we talked about what happened in Toronto last week, where I thought it was handled very, very well, versus Ottawa. And we don't want an Ottawa. No Canadian city wants that to happen. Yeah, Toronto and Ottawa were two totally different planets. Again, am I supposed to applaud Mayor Jim Watson and their, and their uh, police force for handing out 136 tickets to people who live in Alberta and that's supposed to, we're supposed to stand up after fifties and, and give them a golf clap. I, I don't think so. Toronto today presents chatterbox. chatterbox, a neat quick look at the stories you're already talking about. Is this something that you just want to go ahead and ask me? Cause I'll give you an answer, right? Not even close, but or when this is all over, you'll certainly be talking about. I hope I'm not being cross-examined here. You feel like that? No, not really. I'm not going to be ignored. Here we go. Hope you can handle the curveballs. I, I really don't. I, I, what are we doing? I don't know what we're yelling about. Really big fan of that Robert Downey Jr. Uh, interview. I watched that a couple times a year. Uh, it's Chatterbox. It's uh, Toronto Today on a Thursday. Uh, let's welcome in our two panelists, if you will. Uh, Amira El-Gawabi is a human rights advocate, director of programs and outreach for the Canadian Race Relations Foundation. Great to have you on. I always enjoy talking to you. Thanks for making the time for our audience today. My pleasure. Good morning to you as well. Thank you. Good morning. And uh, this gentleman, Alan Carter, hosts the Alan Carter radio program, Global News 530 and 6. And let's not forget, you can't forget, Focus Ontario at 1130. I watch the West Block. I watch I watch Focus Ontario. That's my 11 to noon, All usually before NFL football or something else. And, uh, and uh, I watch the American shows, Alan, and they make me feel really, really relieved that I live in Canada. I live in Ontario. At least I felt that way until like a couple of weeks ago. But there you go. There you have it. <laughs> Good morning, Greg. Thanks for watching all my content. I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> it keeps me busy. Um, yeah, like my kids are like, will you please stop obsessing about that, man? And I'm like, listen, 
Um, mail-on-mail obsession is a, is a thing, so I watch. I do, And I missed you, Matthew Bingley was in. He did well, but, but come on, come on. I want Alan Carter back on. Are you back on this well, weekend? Back on this weekend. Focus Ontario runs this weekend. There's four airings a weekend, uh, one on Saturday and three on Sunday. I recommend you watch them all. That's right. Absolutely. We'll record that. Yeah, do that thing where it records every episode. That's why I have uh, 282 Seinfelds on my uh, on my box. Uh, anytime, all day. Does it, even the early ones where uh, where there was no plot and Jerry's doing stand-up. Amira, let's start with you here. Yesterday, um, people in Ontario now this morning, so new news for all three of us and our audience in that um, the chief medical officer of health is going to lift, uh, you know, extracurricular restrictions and kids will be playing sports again, even indoor sports uh, before we can all go outside again in this uh, in this frigid hellscape a couple months from now. But Christine Elliott says yesterday uh, masks, other restrictions, they're going to be with us for some time. Um, how how do you interpret sort of that comment? And is there is there just not very much pressure on Ontario from the opposition parties to sort of op- open up more? Yeah, I mean, Greg, yeah, what we're seeing, for example, in Alberta with the, their lifting of restrictions, I, I, I'm going to assume that pressure will start to build uh, for more loosening of, of the rules. So seeing this announcement or hearing about this announcement you just shared with us around extracurricular activities, I mean, I think that's going to start signaling that we are going to see some lifting here and there, but perhaps she's sort of setting expectations um, that it won't perhaps be as rapid uh, as we might see in, in, in other provinces, including Saskatchewan as well, which has been listing. So, uh, you know, I, I assume that what's happening is just that, that tightrope, that balancing act that uh, the provincial government here in Ontario is going to have to walk uh, because again, there's, you know, the pressure, I mean, I'm here in Ottawa and we, we know what kind of pressure is coming to bear in this city and in other cities as well. So, um, the government is going to have to try to walk the line. Alan, do you see the same thing? We're, we're, we're in a unique political circumstance here where the other opposition parties aren't exactly like, let's go open up. And, and I don't know too often they've criticized the Ford government's handling of certain things and have been well within their rights to do that. But even when like bizarrely, we closed like golf courses for five weeks, you didn't hear Stephen Del Duca or Andrea Horvath say, got to get our seniors out we got to get them some exercise they didn't they they haven't demanded things be open that have been closed yeah you well you don't get the pressure because you have a you know you have a right of center party so you're not going to get that pressure you know like you would if you were a, a liberal or a, a left of center party I, I i i despair a little bit about what's going on in alberta I mean, it's like has everybody has everybody got amnesia like what happened the best summer mm-hmm. ever how'd that work out how'd that work out that didn't work out so well so what we're now we're doing best spring ever in Alberta. Oh, well, look out. I spoke to, uh, you know, some emergency room doctors and some physicians in Alberta are very, very concerned that this is a political decision, not a public health decision. And I've got to applaud the Ford government. I mean, I don't know how, if they're going to stick to their guns, but the Minister of Health said yesterday, at this point, there is no timeline for the lifting of either masks, which I think should just be with us for a while yet. I mean, really, I mean, you, you, you watch the Olympics, you can speed skate in a, in a mask, but you can't, like, I can't go to, like, it's too much for me to go to the Loblaws in a mask? Like, come on. Um, you know, and, and I think the vax mandates, we have no date on that. I think the Ford government is still smarting a little bit from a year ago when they prematurely lifted um, restrictions. And the next thing you know, Doug Ford's weeping in his mom's backyard. So mm-hmm. I, think, I think that is what is informing what's going on here in Ontario. 
Amiri, so being in Ottawa, I can't imagine um, what it's been like. And I think uh, for the last 14 days, I just, again, last two weeks ago at this time, no one could predict a lot of this. And that said, um, the response has been interesting. It, it feels like there's going to be a bit of a, a tightening of the screws. And there's there's Ottawa protester organizers saying they'll relocate to Toronto. Do you have a gut instinct as to whether everybody in Ottawa is just going to pick up from where they've basically parked their big rigs for, uh, for 14 days and, and head our way? How do you view it? Yeah, no, I, I don't think they're going anywhere unless they, uh, you know, are removed in some manner. Um, because what I, I was just reading about this uh, supposed uh, suggestion that they might go to Toronto, you know, one of one of the truckers apparently was tweeting about this and saying, you know, we're just trying to mess around. We're trying to use this as a game trying to confuse the authorities, confuse the public. Um, you know, when you think about their demands of wanting to, you know, form a coalition government with the governor general, uh, they see Ottawa as, you know, ground zero of trying to, uh, you know, quote unquote, um, share power, I suppose, uh, with with the, with the, our current uh, governor general and with a complete obvious disregard for what constitutional democracy actually looks like. So, uh, no, this is uh, this has gone on absolutely for far too long, uh, two weeks now. And I've got friends, of course, living in the downtown core who continue to, you know, be really, really deeply impacted. Uh, people are frightened to go out people who feel threatened. And um, I, I think that, you know, these protesters, you know, if you read various articles, they're, they're very organized. They're clearly getting, uh, you know, uh, help in some manner, uh, logistical help. I was just reading a story in the CDC around, you know, former uh, military, former police people, you know, who are actually supporting them and, and helping them plan uh, the way that they're organized. So I don't think they're going to leave Ottawa. They may try to expand, obviously, their presence as they did over the past weekend. But um, but Ottawa is a pretty mm. symbolic place and it's inspiring others, as, as you know. Alan, you were out there on Saturday, um, you know, Queen's Park area, uh, walking around downtown. You took some great video on on your Twitter account. You want to get a feel for it. Um, are there two distinct groups that are forks in the road? Are there? Do, do we need to separate and delineate the organizers of this who have a lot of wacky, wacky thoughts, a lot of a lot of frightening, a lot of concerning thoughts, and just people who want to feel a part of a protest, want to feel part of the energy of it, who are frustrated because of this, that, and the other thing? Did you feel there were two different factions out there on Saturday? Yeah, well, you know, there was the the people who. Um, you know, wanted to see me strung up from the nearest light standard. Uh, there's, there was that. And then, you know, there were other people that were, you know, uh, uh, were there, you know, for the party atmosphere. I think what concerns me deeply is that everybody's ticked off. I'm, I'm tired. You're tired. We're all just angry uh, and frustrated after two years of this. And, and what this, you know, freedom, whatever, the, whatever that means, it's just attracted as a lightning rod. Every, you know, if you got a grievance, if you're, you know, if you're ticked off at your spouse, or you know, you're upset at protecting the garbage out, you know, all of a sudden you can find yourself down there, you know, shouting with the rest of them. I think that what needs to be communicated more clearly to this country and to everyone who thinks, well, let's support the truckers, is we're talking about foreign-funded seditionists occupying our capital. Let me say that one more time. Foreign-funded seditionists occupying our capital. And what do we have in terms of leadership? What happened last night? Well, we had a conversation between uh, uh, the Prime Minister and Doug Ford, and they both put out tweets saying, this must end. 
It's, it's, we've heard you. It's time to go home. And let me, let me break something to you. Um, telling, you know, protesters to go home is not actually a strategy to end the protest. Mm-hmm. I'll ask both of you this. I, I, I want to follow up on that and, and keep it here in our last couple minutes. But uh, Amira, that's that just does feel what Alan said is now the prevailing thought is that there's been too much kid glove treatment. And I get it. People have said, well, you didn't do this with this protest and you didn't do that with that protest. Those protests didn't morph into 14, 15 days. Those protests didn't concern and alarm people in those particular communities, whether it was for anti-black racism, whether it was even, even, and you can make the case there should have been some breakup of the First Nations blockades that were stopping progress as well that went on a couple weeks. That's a conversation to have. Neither of those are what this is in downtown Ottawa right now. No, that's that's absolutely true, Greg. I mean, you know, I, I, the the amount of ink that has already been written and al- an, to an, analyze what's been going on uh, here in our capital, uh, you know, has been pretty detailed in terms of, you know, quite widely people do see this as, as we, we just heard from Alan, uh, an act of, you know, an effort to, uh, you know, uh, overthrow a government. I mean, it seems so ridiculous to, to, you know, when you, especially Alan, as you're saying, you know, walking through, I actually really don't feel comfortable going to walk amongst these protesters because uh, I am a visibly Muslim woman. I wear the hijab and we know that there have been racial slurs, uh, anti-Semitic flags. Uh, we've seen Confederate flags. We've seen all sorts of things. We've seen people harassed. Uh, you know, I just was reading a story about a, a young a Canadian Asian woman being harassed at an ice cream store that they had to close up. So it's not a safe place uh, at all. And the the attitudes that are being shared there are deeply troubling. And simply put, it's it's unfathomable that uh, this number of folks with their trucks would be able to shut down our downtown core. Uh, it's, it's sadly almost a laughing stock for our city. Um, and when we think about other movements and other communities, particularly racialized uh, BIPOC, as you would describe, um, you understand that uh, people are not treated equally in this country. I mean, we know that already, but this is a pretty obvious example of how if you are a black, indigenous person of color and you have grievances and you are trying also to exercise your freedom of expression, uh, that's going to be, you know, tamped uh, down pretty quickly if you attempt to disrupt any type of life. Yet when you have a primarily groups, thousands of people who are not from these minority communities, but are, are white, um, there's a very different treatment. And that's yeah. frankly, just un- unacceptable. Um, and everyone deserves to be treated with the same, you know, uh, equality uh, and have the same rights to freedom of expression and feel the, the full extent of the law if they are indeed disrupting and uh, hurting and harming other people. There's no freedom in this at all for those who are living in the downtown and for those of us who want to see democracy yeah. work. Yeah, there's no, there's look, there's no doubt it wouldn't have been allowed to go on for 15 days. No one's asking for one group to get special treatment, but what happens for one group should be the same as for the other. And and you made it patently obvious. And I think we're seeing it play out before our very eyes here. Amira, thank you so much for uh, contributing this morning. It was great to have you on. Thank you so much, Greg, for having me as well. And Alan, um, I know you're hyped about the Super Bowl halftime show. These are your, these are your peeps. This is, here we go. Eminem, Snoop, Dr. Dre. You're, I mean, <laughs> I missed my window with Tears for Fears and Human League. They're not going to call those bands. I wish they would, but they won't. These are your people out there on Sunday. (laughs) 
I wish they kind of you know slotted the cure in there somehow. But like, oh you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, Robert uh, Robert Smith sweating through that makeup doesn't look the same as it did in 1986. But uh, yeah, I I see your point. Thanks very much for making the time. Really appreciate you listening to our podcast. Feel free to uh, subscribe if you haven't already. Do tell a friend. We want to spread the word about the work we're doing and let us know what we can do better uh, by rating our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back with a live show tomorrow to wrap the week heading into Super Bowl Sunday weekend on 640 Toronto tomorrow morning, 530 to 9 a.m.